It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme I have two great guests for you as well as a return visit to the Invest NI Showcase in Northern Ireland. Firstly, I'll be talking to Chef Shane Smith about his online cookery school and Susan Boyle joins us from Barcelona to tell us about a new Irish craft beer podcast, Pint Size Chats, that explores the community behind brewing in Ireland. Then we return to Northern Ireland for the Invest NI Showcase, where I talk to Brian Boggs from Clandy Boy Yogurt and Sarah Cochran from Bow Bells Coffee Shop and Tea Room. But before we hear from our guests, a reminder that you can make contact with me by emailing me s.nunan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So my first guest this evening hasn't been on the programme before so I'm delighted to welcome Chef Shane Smith from Cavan who many of you will recognise from his regular cookery slot on RTE1's Today Show with Maura and Dahi. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Shane, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And we're going to talk about your online cookery school. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you a little bit about yourself to to give the listeners a good idea of what you're all about. You're based up in Cavan. That's where you're from. And baking pastry is very much your area of speciality. And you were inspired from a young age by your mother and your grandmother. Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Sharon. Um, so yeah, I suppose food has always been, I think again, subconsciously when I was a kid, just around the home, mom was always tipping away, baking bread, granny was always doing um, just good homely dinners and um, jam tarts and breads. And like, I suppose I was always just surrounded by it. So I didn't really pay much attention to it at the time. But when I got to about maybe 15 or so, I kind of knew then I was like, no, this is actually this is what I want to do, like, and a dream that I could actually have a job that I could be surrounded by food all day. And I still, there's there's still days, they're not, not every day, but there are still days that I pinch myself and go, wow, this is my job. Like it, it's, it's, it's always, and I always speak about this to my parents. We're lucky that I've got an older brother and a younger sister, and we've all really kind of fallen in, into our niches and what we like to do. And it's such, I think it's a lovely thing to be able to find what you love as in for a job, because you can kind of go in and everyone has good days and bad days, but it is lovely to to do something that you really love, especially after all these years. Absolutely. And you went off to GMIT to study, which has a really good reputation whenever it comes to hotel management, hospitality. Absolutely. Good, basically. Yeah, so I suppose uh, take a step back. When I was 17, I went to Tourism College, Killybegs first. So I went up there and done my two-year search up there where um, it was like, yeah, 17. So I was just a kid when I think about it now and up every morning going into college and assignments and work. But I, I absolutely loved it. And it was it was amazing. So I done my two years in Killybegs and then I moved down to Westport um, and I... Um, went from there and I decided that I would uh, kind of work in industry and get plenty of um, experience there. And then I decided to go back to um, go back to college, further education. So I went back to um, 
GMIT and I uh, specialized in pastry there. So I done my uh, degree there. It was a day release program. So it took me almost three years to go from that um, to working um, five days a week and then doing college one day a week as well. So again, when I look back on it now, I, 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 there's times I go, how did I manage to do all of that? And I want to ask you, Sheehan, about whenever you were at school, did you do home economics at school? Because this is something that Nevin Maguire, who's all obviously another very well-known chef in Cavan, he did home economics at school and he was on, the only boy in the class. Do you know what? I, I didn't because I... When I look back on it now, I, I wanted to, but there was a huge fear of being the only fella in the class. And it was it was something that really put me off. And it's something that I do regret about secondary school, not doing it. I think I ended up going in and doing woodwork or something like that, just to, I suppose, um, yeah, I, I think secondary school is tough enough as it is. But I, I suppose this was back, I can't even remember what year I was in secondary school, it was like the early 90s. Um, but I decided to kind of go down the woodwork route. But I used to always be sitting on the bus on the way home and I'd be eyeballing all the ones, the girls coming on the bus to see what they're after making in home economic class. Um, but I didn't. But um, I um, I always I laugh now. I know the, the home economics teacher from my secondary school and she always slags me every time she sees me. She's like, God, can't believe you didn't come to my class. But no, I didn't. But it definitely was. I think that that interest and growl was for food was always there. Um, so it was an easy decision for me to make to go to to college to study culinary arts. And I think it's amazing that back then, because, um, you you know, you've been doing this for 23 years now. When I was growing up, most people in the kitchen in hotels, for example, were men as opposed yeah. to females. And you have to say to yourself, well, where did they go to learn all of this? And obviously the, the college in Killy Beggs would have a very good reputation. Like a lot of really good chefs have come out. Um, of Donegal. Do you work with schools or do anything like that now to try and encourage young people, male and female, to explore this as an avenue, as a, as a career? It's funny, actually, because I was I was just working with um, a student recently who's based in the home economics, the, the school that's based in Sligo. And we were just doing a questionnaire uh, as part of her thesis. And this topic came up about uh, gender roles in, in kitchens and um I suppose, why is it a male dominated area and what way do we need to change that? And there's so much work that still needs to be done in professional kitchens. Um, I suppose um, getting back to the initial question about schools, I, I do. Obviously, I work with Kenwood, which is amazing. So last year we worked with the, the Home Economics um, Board uh, finding Kenwood's uh, Young Baker. So that was amazing to be working with the schools and to see the talent that's in there and even um, doing live Zoom classes with the schools to see a mixed uh, diversity class again of both uh, boys and girls in there. It was it was nice to see because you can kind of see how things are are progressing and changing. I suppose that's one element. I think the, the, the professional kitchen side of things is another conversation you could go on for 10 hours about that one, about what needs to happen there to entice and attract new people to the industry. Because at the moment, I suppose uh, the chefing side of things still has uh, people look at it as a very tough job, you know, long hours, unsociable hours, um, the pay wouldn't be the best. You know, there, there's lots of these things that go against it. So I think, and I've always said it from day one, unless you love this job it really it's not the job for you unless you really commit to it because in a way things are getting easier but I know for me when I started off when I was 17 there were like 12 14 hour days in the kitchen every day every weekend off I missed more birthdays than I probably attended in my early 20s you know and that's I suppose a, a part of the 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 job that doesn't make it right but it it I think it was at the time that's just what you've done and I think that things are changing now and um 
work-life balance is important. And I, I think there's a lot of really influential chefs at the moment that are running um, really great restaurants that are um, key focusing on their staff's mental health and their the, the, the work-life balance. And I think that when you treat your staff better, then you, you can only get better results as well. Yeah, it's definitely a vocation as a career. It is a vocation to be really good at it. You need to be very passionate about it. And as we've said, your passion lies very much in the baking and pastry side of things. So in addition to your online cookery school that we're going to talk about in a minute, you also do wedding cakes, food photography and consultancy. A jack of all trades, I think. <laughs> um, I think over the years, um, I, I, I think that, being a chef is a very creative job it's 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 almost like being in the arts you know it's, it's it's a love for food and start especially when it comes to pastry like it's very artistic and you have to have that artistic flair so there's certain things that I pick up faster than others and I love photography and I love food styling so over the years um I kind of put one-on-one -on -one together and I realized well you know if you want to share your recipes to a wider audience then journalists and food editors are going to be looking for images as well so I went out, I actually gave up smoking and I was putting money to one side and somebody said to me, buy something, you know, that you look back on in six, eight months and go, well, this is this is what I have for for giving up smoking. Now, that's maybe 12 odd years ago. But I bought um, a DLSR camera and I started with that and I started shooting pictures. Now, for every 60 pictures I took, there was probably one half decent one in it. And um, but over the years, I've kind of, I suppose, trained myself and, and self-taught and I took courses as well. And just that side of things, um, it helps when you're again trying to share your recipes and build your social profile that you can kind of supply nice food styled images and the wedding cakes I suppose working in um, a lot of really nice hotels over the country in Ireland and abroad and um, that was something that I always pushed for when I worked in the pastry sections that um, that we could offer a full package to our guests that if you're having your wedding with us that we could also take care of your wedding cake so and um, that is something that I, I would have always done through the years especially when I worked in, in Fallon and Burn in Dublin we used to specialize in the crock and bush which is the large profiterole tower. Now, when I say I aged about 70 years, every time I had to move it from A to B is an understatement. But um, I always say that about wedding cakes. They are stressful, but when you see the couple's reaction or the guest's reaction, it's it's worth every bit of it. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, there's, there's lots of different things as well. The consultancy is a, is a new thing I probably started um, last year, and that's going around to um, hotels and restaurants around the country because... Um, not only is there a shortage of chefs at the moment or staff in general, but there is a huge shortage of pastry chefs. They're like hen's teeth at the moment. Um, so there's a lot of people that are looking to upskill their current staff. So maybe uh, the chef that they have or the cook that they have in their kitchen may not be trained in pastry, but would have a good eye and attention to detail. So as part of my consultancy role, I go in there with um, them. I meet them. I look at what they their style of food and I create a, a dessert menu around that fits in with their clientele base and their current menu. And then I train their staff, um, whether that's one, two people, go in for a day, um, show them what to do, give them recipe cards and um, make it with them and then go back and do a follow-up and then they deliver that out then. So it's, it's about upskilling and again, investing in the staff that they have, but just leaving it that little bit easier because I have a bank of, of recipes that I've been uh, building throughout the year. So it's, it's, it's good for me that I can share that as well. Well, you'd be disgusted with me, Sheehan, whenever it comes to wedding cakes, because whenever <laughs> I got married a good few years ago, I'd said, oh, look, forget the wedding cake. It's a waste of time. I'd, like, what, what is the reason or the purpose of a wedding <laughs> cake? But of course, whenever somebody pointed out to me that the wedding cake is actually a symbol of fertility, I said, <laughs> OK, we better have one then or else if we end up childless. 
I'll be blamed for for vetoing the having a wedding cake on the all day. over a vanilla sponge. <laughs> Who knew it, it has such power? Exactly. So, um, God bless my late mother-in-law. She actually organised the um the wedding cake, and thankfully we do have two children now. So, the wedding <laughs> cake, thank for that. <laughs> Look, let's talk about your latest addition to your business, and that is your online cookery school. Tell me where you got the idea for this. Um, I, I again, I suppose over the years, a huge part of my job working in uh, really nice restaurants and hotels all over the country is is training staff and passing on the knowledge that I suppose I would have learned um, over the years. I still remember the pastry chef in Knockranny House Hotel, the first five star I ever worked in in Westport. And I walked in on day one and completely naive and uh, thought a creme brulee was made by setting with gelatin and little things like this where I just, I didn't know. And the pastry chef that was there at the time took me under her wing and and just showed me everything and the basics. And I suppose from that, it's, it's always instilled a huge um, a part of me is to pass on the knowledge that I have learned over the years. So I suppose um, that would be a huge part of my job. And I enjoy training and I enjoy teaching and passing um, on of these little uh, tips and tricks and techniques that I would have gathered over the years. So I suppose like a lot of people, I think um, when uh, COVID hit and all of that, um, everyone was just kind of left standing on the sidelines and be like, OK, the novelty wore off after about a week of, OK, what am I going to do? So I think I was lucky enough that I I jumped on the bandwagon fast enough and said, you know what, I'm going to start doing um, cooking classes from home, just online on my social media, very informal and people reacted really, really well to it because it was very relaxed and very easy. And I, I started a little series called Cupboard Creations just to show people that you don't need 700 ingredients or tonka beans or um, kaffir lime leaves to be making nice desserts that you can use simple, um, local, um, easily um, purchased ingredients to make something nice. So that kind of took off for me and it kept me busy, to be honest with you. It was a great um, way for me to keep my mind busy over about the period of a year or so. Um, but it was something that people always asked me is like, oh, do you do classes or do you uh, teach online? So I suppose the seed was planted then, but then I went back to work and things got busy again. And um, I kind of was doing it on the side. And then I just had an aha moment. I went over to my sister um, last year at one point and I was just giving out about work and life and everything. You have one of those days and everything was getting a bit uh, too much. And I think I just realized that I was I was doing two jobs. You know, I was I was working in a restaurant and I was also doing all of this on the side. And anyone who, who knows when you're working online like your, yourself, Sharon, it's it's a full time job. You know, there's a lot of background work that people don't see. So I think I was just getting burnt out. So um, I was having a little bit of a moan and my sister just basically told me to, to, to be quiet and to step back and to ask myself the question, what is it that you want to do? So I asked myself some hard questions and I was like, yeah, I was like, do you know what, if I don't do this, my, my both my parents um, have worked for, the, for themselves um, since I was a kid. So it's something that I suppose is not, I suppose, strange to me. I would have always seen mum um, and dad both opening, owning their own businesses. So it's always been something in me that I'm like, I, I've always wanted to work for myself deep down as well. So I, I finished up work in, in, in the beginning of, of March this year and um, I, I called it a midlife crisis. I took a few, a, about a month out and I went and I visited friends and travelled and just I suppose caught up with people that I hadn't seen in, in so long and then um, I luckily I'm a brand ambassador for, for Kenwood as well so I was working away with that which was nice because um, you have that to kind of keep you busy but then the penny dropped and I was like do you know what I'm going to make a go of the online school there's still a huge grow for people wanting to learn how to bake. And I suppose that's where it started. And that's where I put the head down and 
designed my kitchen and started on menus and learning how to use Zoom and all of the admin stuff because running an online school I, I opened it officially in the beginning of September Um, it's so strange for someone that has spent 12 14 hours a day in kitchens running around now I'm sitting in front of a laptop and I'm setting up automated emails and I'm um, doing all of that side of thing which is completely completely new to me Um, and I've learned so much I've baptized them a fire you know there's one thing that I always want to deliver and that is um, customer experience. I always want people to enjoy whether they come to one of my live cooking demonstrations at a food festival or um, whether it's a, a fundraiser cooking demonstration or if it's one of my classes. I want it to be relaxed. I want it to be fun, but informative so that they they walk away and they they feel like they've learned something. So, um, so far, touch wood, um, the response has been fantastic. So um, I'm constantly, I, I generally run about six different classes a month and that can range from um, shoe pastry to lemon tarts to roulades to gluten-free baking. Um, I try and mix it up um, just to try and offer a diverse range of classes to people and, and as I said, so far, so good. And you do a mix of classes as in some of them are live and then some of them are self-paced. Just explain the difference between those. Yes. Yeah, so um, everyone is really busy. Life is hectic. So people may not have the time to say, right, well, at, at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, I'm going to log on and I'm going to do an hour shoe pastry class. So a lot of people, they like to, all of my classes are recorded. So whenever the class finishes, then you get a link to watch back the recording then. So um, there's that option, but there's also, uh, which I'll be focusing on for Christmas the self-paced classes. So these will be pre-recorded classes because you are held, especially with baking, everything starts off with eggs and flour and butter and you need to start everything and make it within a, either a 60 minute class or 90 minute class. So your hands are kind of tied a little bit. So there's a huge area of stuff that I can't make in that time frame. where if you want to show somebody how to make breads or brioches or that, that takes a lot more time. So there's a lot of these classes that I have to record throughout the day. So my first uh, one of those, uh, I ran a course for the midterm and it was a, um, a midterm baking camp. So um, half of that was delivered through self-paced where people could watch on um, online and pause it and go back and watch it again. And then there was two live classes as well. So I offered a mix on that course. But it's just, so I suppose, to offer people um, the flexibility to, I know some people like just to, to sit back with a cup of tea and watch the class first before they'll actually start to bake as well. So it kind of gives people the 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 confidence that they need to um uh, to, to to bake on the class as well if they if they want to watch it back first. And as it is nearly Christmas then, you're launching your gift vouchers today. Yes, um gift vouchers again, it's 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 a, another part of the business I suppose you need to tap into. And um it it was something that I thought about, but just even getting the website um up and running and all of those things, it kind of slipped to the back of my mind. And I had a few people reaching out wanting to know could they purchase gift vouchers to to pass on to their friends or family for Christmas. So that actually launches today. Um, I'm working with a great friend of mine, Ken McGuire, who helped me design my website. So he um, is uh, doing all the hard graft. I just take the credit for it at the very end. Um, but no, he's amazing. He's got a great vision um, and he kind of understands what I'm looking for, too. So um, the gift vouchers launched today. So they're available on the website as well for, for people to to gift their, their loved ones or even themselves. I would say you don't have to buy for other people. You can also buy for yourself. Um, so that option is there, too. Brilliant. Well, listen, the website looks great. So you better tell us what the, the web address is so that everybody knows. Yes. So it is Chef Shane Smith. That's S-M-I-T-H. Um, and that is the website. And then uh, the cookery school classes are all up there. So the new December schedule has just launched as well. And there's lots of um, 
healthy. We won't talk about it just yet. New Year class is coming up, sugar-free baking and all that kind of thing for those that just want to take the pinch out of the new year. So I'm working on that too. And then all my social channels is the same. So it's Chef Shane Smith on um, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter if you're on any of those platforms. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you this evening, Shane. Um, best of luck with with the the online classes there. It looks amazing. And thanks for telling us all about it tonight. Pleasure as always, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Chef Shane Smith about his career to date, which includes his online cookery school. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed that, you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come on the programme tonight, I return to Northern Ireland to the Invest NI Showcase event where I talk to Brian Boggs from Clandy Boy Yogurt and Sarah Cochran from Bowbell's Coffee Shop and Tea Room. Next though, we're off to Barcelona to talk to Susan Boyle about a new Irish craft beer podcast, Pint Size Chats, that explores the community behind brewing in Ireland. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Susan, great to have you back on the programme. And tonight we're going to talk about a new Irish craft beer podcast that's called Pint Sized Chats. Tell us how it all came about. Um, well, Sharon, it's just lovely to be back chatting to you. As you know, um, I love talking about delicious food and drink. So it was really lovely when um, Board Bia approached me to be the host of this new podcast around the kind of community of people who are part of the craft brewing industry within Ireland. Um, and it's been just really lovely. I got to have great chats, really interesting insights. Um, it's people who are often very busy in their businesses and don't have an opportunity to um, sit down and let you see and understand what's happening inside the industry. So that's why I think it's really interesting um, and a really lovely project to, to be a part of. I think in Ireland, we find it really important to actually know the maker. We want to meet the maker and find out more about them, their personality, how they started the business, the challenges that might be in the business as well. And there are six episodes and and you look at various different themes in those episodes. Yes, we do. Um, so I think that was something that was really important was to really shine a light on the makers. Um, so the people who actually are keeping these businesses going and are producing this amazing craft beer. And that's why this was a really nice podcast uh, in relation to a collaboration with the Craft Brewers of Ireland as well. So it was their members and that's who the people who are our guests on the podcast and um, where they where they come from. And it's been just really fascinating to get that kind of insight, particularly after the last couple of years, Sharon, because it's been so it was unpredictable for so many people and like every industry um, and small business um, craft brewers have also had to weather a few storms or more than a few storms 
And it's been really interesting to to have a moment to sit down to um, put different people together as well throughout this podcast and to have them have a chat um, and to have that recorded so that everyone else is able to listen in and can can find out about it and and can really see more, um, I suppose, insights into these businesses and how um, and how this how the industry kind of really works uh, from the inside out. And so that's been really wonderful. There has been a huge explosion in craft brewers in Ireland over the the recent years, because like how many are there all together now? Approximately, like I think people might be surprised to hear how oh, many we have in Ireland. Yeah, I always find it hard to kind of keep a running running total on how many breweries are open at the moment. Um, but it really has, as you said, we have we have so many wonderful brewers in in communities across the island, uh, which is really exciting. And I suppose this kind of the craft brewing industry first kind of came to Ireland maybe about 30 ish years ago, maybe a little less than that. Um, but in the last number of years, in the last decade or so, the numbers have really increased and increased. And it just means that you can get locally brewed beer um, from people who live in your own community. And that means that there's more employment in those communities. There's um, just a, a really nice sense of place and being able to to have something delicious that's brewed down the road, which I think is a really lovely thing. Other countries do this um, more regularly and and it's just absolutely commonplace. But in Ireland, it took us a little while, I think, to realise that we can make really great beer. We have a great international reputation for our bars, but we can make really, really good beer here. We have all the right ingredients for it and we have the, the skill set for it. So it's great to be able to have something local in your glass. And I would also think that like local in your glass is really anything from the island of Ireland um, because we're such a small place. We don't have to be so hyper local. But, you know, there's just have these brewers that are dotted around the country um, and you can taste delicious interesting beers um i think it's really wonderful it's a very exciting time it's the most exciting time i think to be drinking beer um in ireland um and i'm delighted to be able to shine a little spotlight on that and give people a little insight into what happens um within the breweries and of course ireland's best known brand is a beer so that can only be a plus directing people to the other ones that are available in ireland and the podcast build on the 2021 Irish beer map yes they do um, and I think that that's what's a really nice part about it too like we do have this international reput- reputation in Ireland um, for being beer drinkers um, and now we also have this um, community of really interesting craft brewers um, that as you said when you check out the map you can see that there's these breweries dotted all throughout the country um, and that's really just um Something that just didn't wasn't wasn't part of our kind of our, our food and drink scene until relatively recently. And it's really lovely to be able to see that happening now. So let's talk about the guests. You you have six different guests, one for each of the episodes. Well, no, actually, I don't. I have many more than that. <laughs> so the way it works is that at any one time, we'll have three or four guests on in each episode. Um, and that is really wonderful because that gives you such a breath of um of experience you have people like Seamus O'Hara who was at the forefront of um craft brewing in Ireland and then you have new breweries that have set up right in the middle of the pandemic so it's really nice to have that contrast and have that experience and for me what was really wonderful about it was to really hear what a community it is how how businesses work together how breweries know each other how they um you know give each other digs out in relation to equipment or or just helping people in relation to kitting out of their breweries a lot of people who who work together it's a very collaborative industry 
Um, and that was a really nice thing to see with them, with the people who I was lucky enough to be able to sit down, who were able to give up their time to come and, and chat to me um, about their businesses and about their beers. Uh, so, yeah, I think over the, the space of the um, over the scope of like the um, the six episodes that we have we probably have about i think maybe 18 breweries represented within that so um it's really really casting a lovely wide um wide appeal so that you can really see what's what's happening within the industry and great to have more than one guest at a time well yeah you know i like the chats and it's really nice and some of the formats have been different in relation to how it rolls out for each episode so sometimes we were able to get people in studio together and other times we had to do some more remote interviews like i'm doing here with you um today so it really just depended on on what suited people as well so the format changes slightly as the episodes um progress but um i think it just worked really well and it's just so wonderful to have so many people's voices um represented i think it's a a really interesting project to have captured this moment when we're coming out of the pandemic and we can hear what has been happening in these businesses. And you have been very busy of late, Susan. I've seen on your social media, you've done a lot of travel and international travel and you are really an ambassador for Ireland and all the, the great food and drink that we have to offer here. That's really lovely to say thank you. I do feel like I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in and um, work with Irish drinks particularly and to be able to um, put those in people's glasses in other, in other places. So one of my big projects at the moment I'm working with um, or Bia on a project I devised with them called the Spirit of Ireland and it's a education program for Irish spirits. And with that, in the last oh last couple of weeks, I've been to Toronto a couple of times, San Francisco, um, and then I do a lot of international beer judging as well. So um, I've just spent the weekend in Barcelona um, at an amazing beer festival there, and then um, and beer competition. And then I was also um, recently in um, Mallorca um, judging some beers there. So um, and oh, and Berlin. So things things are busy, but things are great. It, there's never been a more exciting time to work in in the drinks industry in Ireland, and I'm very lucky to be able to um to help spread the word about it and and tell people about the great products that we're making. Well, I'm looking forward to listen to pint sized chats. I'd say you're absolutely brilliant in the presenter chair because it's not always <laughs> I personally find it easier to present than to be a guest because at least I've control of the of the interview then but I'd say the role yeah. that you're, you're very comfortable on both sides of the table um if people want to 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 go on and have a listen where's the best place for them to go to um, Spotify is really easy to find the podcast on um, and then also the irishbeer.ie website will direct you to however you prefer to listen to your podcast so you'll find it there. Brilliant. Susan, thanks so much for telling us all about it this evening. My absolute pleasure. You're very welcome. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Susan Boyle about a new Irish craft beer podcast, Pint Size Chats, that explores the community behind brewing in Ireland. And earlier on in the programme we heard from Chef Shane Smith about his career to date and his online cookery school. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed that, you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app.
Now, our final interviews tonight are with two producers from Northern Ireland who I originally met down in Dingle at this year's Blossnairn Irish Food Awards in October. However, on this occasion, I met Brian Boggs from Clandy Boy Yogurt and Sarah Cochran from Bowbells at a recent showcase event hosted by Invest Northern Ireland in Northern Ireland. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brian, great to meet you here in Clamdy Boy. You'll be delighted to hear I had some of your fabulous yogurt for breakfast today over in the Grand Central Hotel. Just explain to everybody about the company and what it does. Well, we're the only yogurt made in Northern Ireland now. Uh, we have our own farm here on the estate. We milk Jersey Holstein cows and basically we wanted to add value to that milk. So about 15 years ago, Lady Dufferin, who owned the estate, came up with the idea of yogurt because there was no one else making it. Uh, and we make a whole milk, hand-strained Greek-style yogurt and natural yogurt. Uh, and we certainly believe it's, it's the best you can buy. Well, over the past 15 years, the business has obviously evolved and developed and the, the products are widely available now. Yeah, well, certainly you mentioned having it for breakfast in the Grand Central. One of our first customers were the Hastings Hotels Group and we've grown from supplying them and going to St George's Market. We're now in Tesco, Sainsbury, Asda, Spar, all in the north of Ireland, Aldi, Lidl, uh, Spar in the south of Ireland. So, yeah, we've thankfully grown to... A reasonable scale. Is it fair to say it wasn't an overnight success that you had to keep working at that and maybe educating people in the taste of Greek flavoured yogurt? No, well absolutely. To start with, it was really interesting when you went to Balmoral Show or you went to places and people says, oh I wouldn't eat yogurt. And you, you did have to get them to understand the quality of the product. And I used to love people saying to me, I don't eat yogurt because when they tasted ours, thankfully they really they realised what it, the true taste is. And I think that older generation in Northern Ireland that I might put myself into that category, when we were growing up, yoghurt wasn't particularly nice. Oh, no, it, it has changed dramatically and certainly we hope we've contributed to that. You know, everybody had this, it's sour milk impression and the product is so, so different from that. And, and I think our tastes have changed as well. So no, I love people telling me they don't like the yogurt or don't like yogurt and then trying ours. It's, it's fantastic. And you travel a lot now. You're here today in Clandy Boy at the showcase. You were down in Dingle at the Blossnairn Awards and you're talking about the Balmoral show. So you get out and about a lot. Certainly at the start, we did an awful lot of that. Uh, and it was a brilliant way to get established. Maybe we don't do it as much now as we'd like because as you get busier, it's harder. But at no events like, you know, Blast down at Dingle was a fantastic weekend and you're meeting buyers and you're, and the public. And it's actually great being reminded by the public that they like the product. You're, your head's down, you're making a product, you're used to it yourself. And it's lovely hearing people talk about it and hearing how much they enjoy it. Well, let's talk a bit about the different flavours because mm -hmm. there is an extensive range. Can you remember them all off by heart? Probably not <laughs> anymore. Uh, we started with just Greek and natural and now we do a, a, a very significant range. I, I won't say massive, but a very significant range. We have newer ones like raspberry and white chocolate, mango and nectarine, mandarin and lime, blueberry. We have a whole range. What we do is we do whole milk. We don't do zero fat or any of that sort of thing. It's just all our own milk from our herds, whole milk, and it, it gives you a really rich, 
creamy product without having to add too much sugar or flavouring. So, no, we've got a good range. Now, we also do grab-and-go products. We do all of Starbucks coffee shops. We do all kinds of other niche things that make the product available to a wider audience. And you mentioned earlier the Jersey cows and the Holstein cows, which the, the Jersey in particular would be known for having a really creamy milk. Yeah, we, we, we blend them just as they milk, to be honest. We trialled it on pure Jersey milk, and it was too buttery, really. Uh, but that bit of Jersey milk with a higher butter fat just adds a bit of creaminess to it and it allows you to make a real rich product without adding milk powders and you know there, there are yogurts out there made with gelatin and, and things to try and thicken it whereas we can make it with nothing added like that. So you're always innovating coming up with new ideas new flavours and you have the little granola yogurt pots as well. Yeah you're, you're trying to, to create a bit of interest and make it available to as many people as possible so we try to keep the same core the same base with our milk but then how we how we process that like our biggest point of difference from everybody is we strain in the authentic way so our natural yogurt goes into cheesecloth bags you strain out 30 percent of the volume as whey which actually goes to our anaerobic digester and produces our electricity uh, and what's left in the bag is our greek style yogurt so i i believe we're probably the only people in the island of ireland who are straining in that old style but it those sort of innovations but traditional innovations is, is how we try to do it. And it sounds then like sustainability is very important to you whenever you're talking about the anaerobic digester. Yeah, well we're, our home is Clandyboy Estate which is the largest broadleaf woodland in Northern Ireland. We have our own farm, we produce all our own hot water from the digester, all our own electricity. Our milk travels 400 metres from the farm to the processing plant and we really try to you know, it's a real story. It's not a made-up marketing story. It, it is what we do. So, out of all the flavours then, what's your personal favourite? It's amazing. I've gone back to natural yoghurt, and I really enjoy just our natural yoghurt with nothing added. The best flavour, in my opinion, is our Madagascan vanilla, but personally, I really enjoy our natural yoghurt now. And what way would you eat it? Would you eat it with the granola or something like that in breakfast, the way I had it this morning? Yeah, well, I, I would eat it with a bit of fresh fruit cut up in it, and that's the way I love it, and it just gives a real clean, fresh product, you know. So, no, I highly recommend whole milk natural yoghurt with a bit of fruit. If you need a bit of sweetness, a drizzle of honey and ready to go sounds perfect and if anybody's listening and they want to find out more where's the best place for them to go if to if you visit our website clandyboyyogurt.com uh, or you know we're available as I say if you look out for our brand even in Aldi and Little, where we do their private label our name's all over the product and, and we like people to try and know they're getting Clandyboy Yogurt brilliant thanks so much for talking to me no problem enjoy your day Sarah, it's great to see you again after seeing you down in Dingle in October, where you had great success at the Blossnairn Irish Food Awards. Tell me about Bowbells. It's it's um, a retail outlet, a cafe. It's a coffee shop and tea room. Um, our main store is in Donegadee, County Down. We have two more stores as well. Our latest one is just open in Newton Arts. Um, and the bakery is based in Donegadee. That's where we do all our making and baking. So tell me about the products that you're here showcasing today. Our products that we're showcasing are the same as we had in finals in Blasna Erin Awards. Um, we have three, uh, three flavours of granola and we've also got a selection of pies and sausage rolls. And tell me what you won down at Bloss. 
In Blast we had our finalist for our chicken and a ham pie and finalist for pork and apple sausage roll and our chocolate and raspberry granola went home with a bronze. It, it, it sounds delicious now, chocolate and raspberry, what's not to, to like? So the business started as a tea room and a, a cafe and then why did they decide to start retailing products? We took over the business uh, during lockdown and it was a tough time. We opened the coffee shop and our doors were shut. Uh, very quickly we had to find ways to be able to sell to our customer that weren't our conventional way. Um, coming from hospitality background, we're used to putting food on a plate and serving a customer. Um, so we had to find other ways to be able to sell. Some of that was through butcher's stores, um, others were through our own stores um, and that's how we've come to be making and packaging our product to sell them to the customer. And having a space like a tea room must be a great way to create awareness about the retail range. Yeah, it's great for brand awareness, brand building. Um, the store in Donaghy has been called Bowbells for many years before we took it over, so it is a nostalgic brand locally, um, and that is that's definitely helping our our products sell whenever they're in the other stores as well. And have you any plans to expand the product range? We do. We are closely getting to the next step and looking to see how we can expand. So we're hoping that some of the big stores will, will start to help us, help us um, guide us to be able to expand. And whenever you were down in Dingle, what was the reaction from the public to the products? I sold out, so that was a great reaction. Um, and I can say that the people who bought the granola, I've already had four or five emails asking where can they buy it, and I'm currently posting it to them. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be in stores soon in the south and they'll be able to buy it for themselves. So it sounds like one of the outputs from Dingle and Blossnerin was actually having an online shop of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we'll get that set up in, in the next sort of six to 12 months and then hopefully find distribution networks as well to, to get into the stores in the south too. And what sort of shops are you looking at to have stock the products? We're looking at um, primarily like butcher stores with delis, things like that, but we're not, we haven't closed the doors on the bigger stores, you know, the likes of the Aldi's and the Super Values, because we know that they're currently moving into more bespoke products, higher end, um, homemade, uh, the likes of the granolas are, are a good stepping stone for that. And are you hoping to meet a few particular buyers today? Um, I'm open to meeting any buyers today, just to help with my learning on this. <laughs> Fantastic. And if any buyers are listening or if anybody wants to get in touch to get the product, yeah. what's your web address? It is, uh, actually it's an email address for sarah at peer36.co.uk. Thanks a million, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that brings us to the end of tonight's programme. Before I go, I've been asked to let you know that this Friday, the 18th of November, the Nuffield Ireland Annual Conference takes place at the Castle Knock Hotel outside Dublin. The event will hear presentations from four returning Nuffield scholars and will also feature an expert panel discussion exploring the theme moving way beyond greenwashing, developing solutions for a net positive agriculture. And if you want more details about that, visit nuffield.ie. So thanks a million to my guests this evening, Shane Smith, Susan Boyle, Brian Boggs and Sarah Cochran. And my thanks to you also for tuning in. Until next week, bon appétit. <laughs> 
Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!